St. Luke in the Gospel today ends his Gospel with these words. They, the disciples, did him homage and then returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The disciples, St. Luke tells us, are filled with joy as Jesus ascends into heaven. But I don't know about for you, for me, that seems quite strange on the surface because Jesus is leaving them. And so why are the disciples so filled with joy as their Savior, their Lord, departs from them? I don't know about for you, but as I was growing up, I always imagined the ascension maybe kind of in this in this likeness, in this image. I pictured um, Jesus and his disciples kind of hanging out. They're chatting about, I don't know, what was happening in Jerusalem or something. And then all of a sudden, Jesus looks down at his watch and goes, Oh, I'm almost late, guys. And he calls a little cloud to come down, his little taxi, you know. Cloud comes down, he hops on it, right? And he begins to wave at his disciples. The disciples wave at him. They just have a big smile on their face. He disappears, and they're saying, Well, what do we do now, guys? I don't know about for you, but that's kind of how I pictured it. And it doesn't really have to seem to have a really big and substantial meaning to it or purpose. It's just kind of Jesus hopping on the cloud and getting out of here. But maybe something more is happening. And when strange things happen, as I've said before, in the New Testament, it's likely we find the answer to its meaning in the Old Testament. And so for just a brief moment, I want us to kind of take a step back and go back in time and, and really see... Maybe if we can unpack this powerful and meaningful event in our lives, in the life of Christ. Why does it leave the disciples rejoicing? So, let's go back in time. The Israelite people are gathered by Moses and they are enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so God saves them by allowing them to cross through the Red Sea, known as the Exodus. So he freed them from slavery. This This moment in their history was so profound that literally the rest of their existence, the people of Israel, revolved around this one moment. This one moment was the pinnacle moment of their salvation, of their relationship with God. And so they cross over the Red Sea, but what happens next? They wander in the desert or the wilderness for 40 years. Where are they going? They're going to a place that God promised them, that he would give to them, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the scriptures say. We know it as the promised land. So 40 years, they're wandering, they're going through the desert, and finally, they make it. But they got to cross a river, the Jordan River. But you see, the whole time that they have been journeying, they weren't alone. They were guided and led by a cloud. So during the day, this cloud would descend as a sign of God's presence and would lead them when they were supposed to go. And then when the cloud stopped, they would stop. But once they got to the promised land, there was no more cloud. Now, I have to tell you that Moses, although he was their leader, he didn't get to enter the promised land. He was disobedient to God upon his last days of his life. So God didn't allow him to go to the promised land. Rather, the person that led them into the promised land was his successor. His name was Joshua, or as his friends would have called him in Hebrew, Yeshua. 
Now, I want us to take a step back for just a moment, kind of outline those events for us. Slavery, freedom from slavery by crossing over the Red Sea, wandering for 40 years, and then Yeshua leading them into the promised land. Now, I hope that sounds somewhat familiar to you. Because when Jesus steps on the scene, something amazing happens. As St. Paul will say, he takes the form of a slave in being in the likeness of men. Jesus takes on the slavery of sin upon him. And then, in a miraculous, wondrous intervention of God, he crosses over from death to life. In the resurrection. And then he wanders for 40 days visiting his disciples. And then Jesus hops on a cloud, or his mama would have called him Yeshua. And he goes and he ascends not into an earthly promised land, but into a heavenly promised land, into heaven. And so we have to ask ourselves, why are the disciples so filled with joy? Because what's happening in front of their very eyes is the very fulfillment of what happened thousands and thousands and thousands of years before him. The life of the Israelite people, what happened to them, pointed forward to this moment. And you see, the clouds stopped at the Jordan River. But now Jesus comes with that cloud, ascends into heaven, and says, Now, now follow me into the eternal promised land. And so this is why they're so filled with joy, because now heaven, paradise, is open back to the disciple. Because in the beginning, the fall of Adam and Eve had closed the paradise. They were shut off from heaven. But now through Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, it's open once more for us again. As the Catechism will tell us, left to its own demise, humanity did not have access to the Father's house, His life, His happiness. But then through Christ, He opens the way once more. And the disciples are filled with joy because of this. They too see that the promise that God made has now been fulfilled. And that's why they're rejoicing, because now they're filled with hope. Eternal life is promised to those who follow him. But I think that there's one more reason why they're full with full of joy. And one more reason for us to hope. And it's this. There's a little detail that Luke gives to us that as Jesus is ascending, he raises his hands and then he blesses them. I want you to put yourself back in that moment for just a second. As Jesus raises his hands, what do you see in the middle of his palm? His wounds. Because as Jesus rose from the dead, he did not rise in just a new body. He rose with the very body that he was crucified with. And now his wounds are not only gruesome, but glorious in the resurrection and the ascension. St. Paul will tell us in the Ephesians, as we heard in the second reading, that we, the church, are his body. 
We are his mystical body. And so Christ is showing to his disciples then and now that he takes with him the wounds of his body. Which means he takes your wounds and mine. He takes your sufferings and mine. He takes your trials, your distresses, your frustrations, your miseries. He takes those of his mystical body to the Father. And none of those, not one ounce of them, goes unnoticed by the Father. He is attentive to them. But now we have the option, my brothers and sisters. We can make our wounds in this life remain gruesome, or we can allow them to become glorious if we unite them to Christ, if we give them to Him. That is the hope that we have. That nothing in this life, nothing, nothing, joys or sorrows, goes unnoticed and goes unredeemable when given over to Jesus. That is the hope that we have. And so today is a day of rejoicing for us too, his modern day disciples, as we recognize that he has burst open the gates of heaven. And he has made all things redeemable in himself. When his disciples first followed him, they did so in fear because they knew that meant going to the cross. But today, today they follow him with joy because they know although it leads to the cross, ultimately it leads to the eternal promised land.